Welcome to the Moving to France podcast. France is a beautiful and diverse country with a rich culture and history. From the bustling city of Paris to the picturesque countryside, there's something for everyone in France. In this podcast, I will explore what it's like to move to France, chat with guests and share tips and advice for making the transition as smooth as possible. Whether you're considering a move for work, study, retirement or just for the experience, I hope you'll find this podcast helpful and informative. Let's dive straight in. Okay, today on the show is Drew Ferguson. Drew has, is retired and she's going to share her story, some of the pitfalls, some of the highlights of moving to France and to share with you some tips and hints. Drew moved with her husband uh, from America. Um, hi, Drew, and welcome to Moving to France. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Okay. Um, listen, Drew, it's great to chat to you. Um, and I know that we had a little bit of a chat uh, just before we, we uh, started recording. So just to let everybody else know, um, if you could very quickly tell us where you live and where you came from, please. Yes, um, we are currently living in saint en lecole in the Deux Sèvres, and we moved from the magical hamlet of Leansboro, Minnesota. Okay, so um, magical hamlet? Yes. <laughs> is, is there a story there? It's um, a wonderful town in a very beautiful part of the country. Um, it's about 750 people, and it's a town that's been nationally recognized in the U.S., both as an outdoor town and a small arts town. And um, it's got a beautiful 60-mile bike trail running through it, a river with tons of river activities and an art center and a professional full-time theater. Um, and it, it really is a very special place. Okay, so you've moved from a very special place to um, somewhere in France. And tell us, describe where you live at the moment. Is it a village, a town, rural? Right. Um, it's actually quite a bit larger than Lanesboro. Semex Call is about 7,000 people. And um, it's ideally situated. Um, it's a four-hour drive from Paris. It's a two-hour train trip on the TGV from Paris. There's actually a TGV station in Saint-Maxon-l'École. And it's on the Poitiers-La Rochelle axis. Um, so we are in a fundamentally rural area. But it's a large town. It has pretty much, um, you know, the basic amenities, a library, an aquatic center, all the day-to-day -day things. And then with a 20-minute drive, um, we go to Niort, where there's everything. And we are also 30 minutes away from Parthenay, which is a wonderful uh, walled medieval city, very beautiful, and uh, kind of a center of traditional music. And that, that was a draw for us, as well as my ancestry. Okay, well, coming up, we'll talk about that in a moment, Drew. Um, Drew, you've painted a lovely picture of, of where you live, but just to give some more context um, for the listeners, um, when you're waking up in the morning and you open your bedroom curtains or your shutters, what do you, what do you see? Well, it's really kind of amazing. Um, well, you know, we are, we're in town, so, um, but we're on the edge of town. So if, when I wake up in the morning, um, our house only has windows on one side. And so I see the sunrise. It's just beautiful. It's magical. 
And if I look to the left out the window, I see the Abbey, the medieval Abbey and um, downtown in the distance. And when I look to the right, I see the Serra Niortes River. And um, it's just kind of unbelievable. And where do you take your first cup of tea or cup of coffee in the morning? Well, <laughs> right now it's winter, so I I take that um, in our really large kitchen, which has a great window facing the sunrise. So this is a room that's really bathed in morning light. And, um, you know, as the weather gets warmer, I hope that I'll be taking my morning coffee um, in various places outdoors. Okay. And do you have some places outdoors that you can sit? We do. Um, our property is kind of interesting, but there's um, there are places to have coffee just out in the outdoors. And we also have a really interesting old lean-to because I, we were told that our property was originally a farm when it was built at the beginning of the 20th century. And so we're going to create kind of an indoor-outdoor dining space out of this stone sort of um, open but covered uh, place. And so, you know, when it's warm but raining, I'll have coffee there. Okay, so when did you move to France? Um, we moved to France on the 26th. That's the date we arrived of October. So it was about six weeks ago. Okay, so you're relative newcomers to France. Yes. Well, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and um, how did you get here? Now, I don't mean an airplane or a boat or anything like that, but the actual um, bureaucratic process of you getting here. Are you retired? Are you working? Right. So um, this was something that was kind of hard to figure out. I mean, once we realized that we had a legal pathway to get here, um, we had to decide whether we wanted to get a retirement visa, which um, does not allow us to to work or earn any income in France, or if I wanted to come in on um, an entrepreneur visa or an artist visa, which would require me to earn a certain amount each month. And that amount is actually quite low by, a, it's a low threshold by American standards, but obviously it does put pressure on you, especially if you're starting something new. And so we ultimately decided that we we're trying to simplify our lives and that we would come in on the retirement visa. Okay. And how difficult was that process, Drew? Well, um, you know, there's a lot of people who do it on their own and they seem to do fine. Um, but we, we worked with a handholding service and I'll just, if I could do a little shout out. Yeah, sure. For um, Alison um, Grant Lunas um, from Transformation. Um, we worked with Alison and, um, you know, they basically taken care of all the nitty gritty of the paperwork for us. We had to make sure we had all the documents. Um, and I think that, that was just enough stress for us, you know, to um, have someone else do it for us and then just to have to, you know, go through the hoops. It was surprisingly easy. Um, we worked through the Chicago consulate, which I think was a little more difficult than working through, for example, New York. Um, but ultimately, everything has gone very smoothly and very easily. It's been surprising, really, how easy it's been. 
And how long was that process? Well, you know, the, the biggest part of the process was all the conversations that we had with Allison trying to figure out what exactly we're doing. But once we told her that we wanted to move ahead, um, you know, I mean, she had a couple months notice. Um, we scheduled the appointment at um, VFS in Chicago about two weeks in advance. And two weeks later, we had our visa. Right. Okay. So I guess about a month. Right. So that's quite a quick process, really. Yes, it was surprising. Okay. And when you um, when you were speaking to Alison, did you go to her knowing that you wanted to go for a retirement visa or did you go to her with options and you discussed it and then decided on the retirement visa? Yeah, I went to her with options and questions and we kind of thrashed through that over a period, you know, like on and off of a year or two while we decided and then we worked with her to make the final decision and go forward why did you decide to retire to france oh well (laughs) um it's been my dream to live in france um ever since i left left france from having spent four years living here in 1997 and for some reason it seems as though i've loved France my entire life even when I was a little kid and didn't even know what it was you know I um, I wanted to go to France I switched from public school to private school in seventh grade partly because I was able to take French Um, and when I went to university I spent my first two years at McGill University of Montreal because I wanted to be in a French place and then when I was working on my dissertation I chose a topic that would allow me to live in France so um, it's it's I've almost been led here. Okay, and, that, and I think that's um, a bit of a common theme with people who move to France from America or from England or Ireland. Um, they just they feel this inexplicable draw yeah. to to the place yeah. because I I felt exactly the same, um, pretty much from when I first came to France when I was thirteen, um, uh-huh. and I just knew I just. I mean, I wasn't particularly good at French when I was at school, but I just knew yeah. that France was a, a wonderful, magical place. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You, you moved here on the retirement visa. Um, and I'd, I'd like to talk, if I can now, about the, the, the healthcare system. A lot of people um, talk about trying to get into the healthcare system within France um, and about what a bureaucratic nightmare it is. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us about your experiences. Well, you know, yeah, it might be a nightmare for us. I, um, um, this is something I have worried about, but, um, as Americans, we were able to come into France, um, on our retirement visa. We have a requirement of having taken out insurance when we entered the country. So we took out a three month insurance in order to get our visa. And in order to enter the country, and then after that, after that 90 days is up, we will have the right to apply to get on the French healthcare system and to get our social security card and our, 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 our health card. Um, I basically think that this is going to go as smoothly as the visa process has gone um, on the one hand, 
But in the past few days, I have read some things online that, you know, people have had trouble getting it. And so that got me a little bit scared. And then um, Allison is also helping us, you know, through this part of the process, because this is part of, you know, getting our visa finalized and everything and set up in France. And just the other day, you know, I got an email from them that they, you know, they need our birth certificates and they need some different documents that, um, we, you know, we, it's just, it sounds like it's going to be bureaucratic, you know? So we ordered the birth certificates and again, I hope everything's going to go well and I think it will go well, but it's just another one of those things that is scary and we've actually done it and it's worked. You started the process of um, applying for to get into the healthcare for your carte vitale and for your social security number. No, we haven't started it yet. Um, let's see. I forget exactly what Allison said, but they, you know, they didn't want to. We, you know, we kind of have to wait the three months, I think, or the ninety days. And so, I think they're going to start the process just before that 90 days is up and right, I, okay. you know, and I, they, they kind of indicated that um, like, we don't want to start it early. You know, things kind of have to go in their, their right order and timing. <laughs> right. Okay. Sure. Um, I, I understand that. Um, the healthcare insurance that you had to take out the, the 90 days mm-hmm. um, healthcare without being intrusive, was that more expensive than you thought it would be? Um, I don't even remember what it was. Um, no, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I'll say, just also speaking to your last point about the bureaucracy, I mean, I was prepared for the bureaucracy because I'd lived with it for four years before I got here. And I think a lot of the times what we're finding is that, um, you know, the bureaucracy does exist for a reason and there seem to be a lot of checks and balances and, um, we actually kind of like that, you know, that things are verified and checked and they must be a certain way. So we're, we are kind of appreciating that. And I think we're also appreciating that um, a surprising number of things cost less than they would in the U S. And one of those was the insurance. Um, It, it seemed reasonable to us. Now, I know the answer to this question because we had a chat beforehand, but have you had um, the opportunity to use the healthcare system since being in France? <laughs> on our on our moving flight over, which was the flight on which we had um, one of my violins and our cat and our dog and both our computers and our most important papers and a whole bunch of checked baggage, my husband fell ill on the flight and they had to call for a doctor and then um, he was unable to walk. And so we, um, they had to call the emergency services to meet the plane. And so he spent the whole day, um, I think it was severe dehydration. So he had um, infusions during the whole day. And about two weeks later, when we were kind of catching our breath, I contacted the insurance um, to make a claim just to be reimbursed for the actually very low bill that was for him to be at the health services at Charles de Gaulle. They indicated that we they won't reimburse any services unless you have like a pre-authorization. 
And which for us would have meant like the pilot. <laughs> I don't know, like how you make a call to get something pre-authorized when your husband's having a medical event on the flight over. Um, and, if, you know, I mean, we didn't think of it the first day and really we didn't think of it for the first couple of weeks. And then, of course, we found out that there was a five day window during which we were supposed to submit the claim. So our experience of using it wasn't that great. But I guess now, you know, it's like we didn't read the fine print before we had to use it. And now we know what we need to do if it, you know, before the three months is up, we need to use it again. But, okay. I, you know, I want to stress again, though, I we just... Um, we, you know, this was a bill that was like 170 euros for an entire day in kind of an intensive care situation. And we were just stunned because this same bill in the U.S. would have been hundreds, if not like thousands of dollars. 170 euros a day for a day's stay in a hospital with treatment um, in comparison to what uh, you would pay in America yeah. is um, very reasonable, I would have thought. It, yeah, it was, we were stunned. And and the care was, I, we were so impressed with um, the entire personnel of Air France and um, the staff, you know, he was being looked after by several doctors and several nurses and the care that we received all the way through was just impeccable. That's uh, a good advertisement for the French healthcare system. <laughs> and for Air France. <laughs> well, absolutely, yeah. One of the things that um, I wanted to ask you about was the reason why you chose Saint-Maxon-Lécole, uh, the, the village or town where you're living. So why don't you tell us that? Okay. Um, it's kind of an amazing story. As I mentioned earlier, I'd been drawn to France even as a little girl from like the age of six, seven or eight. And um, and I mentioned the fact that I lived in Paris for over four years, teaching for two years and working on my um, doctoral dissertation research for two years. Um, and after I left in 1997, I always wanted to come back to France. Well, probably about 10 years after 1997, I found out through a, just a kind of a very lengthy and yet organic process that I had ancestors on both my mother's and father's sides from Poitou-Charentes. So um, one ancestor settled in Montreal, was a pioneer in Montreal in the 17th century, was living in the La Rochelle area, so right near the port. And the other ancestor was a Protestant who escaped from Saint-Marc-Saint-L'École about 1635 to go settle in the Boston area. And so right away, I, and both of these locations, the Etre just south of La Rochelle and Saint-Maxon-Lécole are like an hour and 15 minutes apart. So I thought that was really amazing that on both sides of my family, I had ancestors who were from essentially an hour you know, apart. And then, you know, they both in the 17th century went to North America, one to Canada, which wasn't yet Canada, and one to the US, which wasn't yet the US. So this was something that was always dangling in front of me as to, you know, where are we going to settle? Where are we going to settle? And while I wanted to settle in Semexon because 
we couldn't settle near the coast because it's just frankly the real estate prices are outrageous so that just very quickly became a non-option and I was looking at different houses that I liked and and they weren't all in Semixol so this was part of the process that was very hard to be in touch with my feelings about the pull of ancestry and how much I wanted to be in that actual place or just relatively near to it and um while I was actually here in the summer of 2021 looking at properties, I came upon this kind of like the gold nugget of uh, a missing piece of my ancestry. And I found out that um, my ancestor, who's out of the Boston area, actually wasn't the son of someone who lived in Saint-Maxon. He was more like the nephew of that person. And his father was actually a man who lived um, in Châtellerault. And I found out that the whole family had a real history with Châtellerault. But I really wanted to be in a good location, too, on this, as I described it, the, Paris, the sort of Paris-Poitiers La Rochelle axis, that area, Chateau was just too far away from the coast. And I think what's really interesting when we were looking at, I kind of lengthy here, when we were looking at real estate, I was really surprised that the realtors kept mentioning how far each property was away from the coast. And there really is like this pull to the coast and I've always had that in my life anyway because I grew up near a coast but it's this kind of indescribable pull like of the tides of the coast and we just didn't want to be that far away from the coast and so really Saint-Maxon you know these are all kind of the justifications that I used to convince myself that Saint-Maxon was really the place Saint-Maxon is like smack dab in the middle between Chateau-Laurent and the La Rochelle area where the other ancestor was from. But I, and I have to say, we, we came at a time when the real estate market, you know, this was a, during COVID. We moved our trip up to come to France earlier than expected to look at houses because the realtors told us that they were being snapped up a dime a dozen and there weren't new ones coming on the market. And we looked at so many houses and we even picked out four we were going to make offers on and they were all snapped up. And we kind of ended up with a house that we liked, but it wasn't our favorite one and it wasn't our first choice and we weren't in love with it. But once we settled on Simexon and being near this river, it felt right. It, this is the strangest thing is this deep down in your gut feeling of this is where I'm supposed to be. So this whole journey of why Simexon has really been kind of arduous but it's got reminds me of the t.s Eliot. you know it's like my end is my beginning you know <laughs> okay that's that's fascinating the fact that you have this this very early link in your in your family very early link to france which yes which has drawn you in and, and pulled you in um, you mentioned something there that you had looked at, at lots of houses um, and you'd looked at lots of different areas. How did you choose the house that you're in? Was it the one that you, it, it was what was left? Well, yeah, I mean, it was probably, um, you know, of course we had a spreadsheet and actually, I mean, I, I and my husband looked at about 60 houses, actually. 60, six zero. Yes. Wow. And 
There were, um, by and large, they needed a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. And we did not want to do that. And um, we had, you know, like five houses that were on the list higher than this one that were just snapped up. Sorry, what was the question? I, I kind of <laughs> lost the thread there. <laughs> how, did, how did you choose the house that you ended up with? Um, oh, okay, it yeah. It's been renovated. You know, there's, there's certain things. Um, you know, it's hooked up to city um, electric water and sewer. Um, it had basically been renovated. It had a new heat pump, double glazed windows. Um, you know, it was in overall good condition. It just needed some, you know, decorative work and painting. Um, we also, of course, my husband told me before I left that he didn't want a house with a garden. But then after he got here and looked at a few, he's like, oh, we've got to have a garden. So <laughs> it has it has place for a garden. It has it's a nice third of an acre lot that's enclosed we wanted something enclosed because of our dog and our cat um so you know it ticked off these certain things and we wanted a house that had traditional features the beam ceilings and uh like old tile floor wood floors a beautiful wooden staircase you know those kinds of features so it ticked off a lot of the boxes and it really it's walking distance from everything in Semexal. And as I said, we're right near the river. We're in town. We can see downtown, but we're not, you know, right in it. Oh, wait. Oh, I forgot a really important consideration. I can't believe I forgot that. I love to swim. And um, I would, one of my, I decided that actually one of my main criteria was to uh, have a place that had access to a four season, you know, and not just an outdoor summer pool. And, um, and I knew from the very beginning that um, in Semexon, they were building a brand new aquatic center, really state of the art. And it was being built the whole time I was looking for a house. It opened last March and it's a 15 minute walk from our house. And that was actually a really big consideration. Okay. Um, you mentioned something there about um, uh, your pets. And I know that you, you, you brought some pets over with you from America. How, how difficult a process was that to get them into, into France? This is another one of those things where I think the hardest part about it was not knowing in advance exactly how it was going to go and exactly what was going to be required. And But then once we kind of got there everything seemed really easy so we weren't able to get all the information we needed from just one source so that was frustrating and caused a lot of anxiety so we ended up spending a lot of well i ended up spending a lot of time on the internet looking um you know googling things and um you know facebook groups and just trying to figure out all everything would be required and one of the things that was really nerve-wracking is to get the right size of kennel. And so we actually ended up ordering two just because we, we couldn't even figure it out. Like we went to a pet store and they measure, you know, and it's still, we couldn't really get it right. So we just bought two and then kept the one that seemed best. And then for the cat, you know, you, you look at the requirements on Air France, because actually I will say um, one of the Facebook groups, you know, it was pretty much universally agreed that you should fly on Air France. Um, if, if you're going to take your pets and um, a lot of airlines now with COVID too have also changed their requirements for pets and it's like either more expensive or more difficult 
to even bring them. So, um, and it had to be a direct flight, right? A direct flight from Minneapolis or Chicago to Paris. But the thing with the cat, it had to be a certain type of carrier, a certain size, and all the carriers on the market are just a little bit bigger. And so there's all these strands on Facebook of people saying, you know, well, this brand, da da da, and it squishes down, and that's all they really care about to meet the size requirement. We were really, really nervous about it. But, you know, we get to the airport, and there's just like nothing. They're just like, you're good. Um, all the papers did have to be like, after we checked in, we had to go to the USDA to um, verify the papers. But like when we came into France, no one looked at them, no one cared. Um, it was just, you know, easy peasy. The I think the, the trickiest part of it, other than the, the couple of things I mentioned, was our vet, who's like a rural vet, was not, didn't have the qualifications to be the veterinarian who could write up the paperwork on the American end that we then had to send to um, the USDA office in Madison, Wisconsin to get the official embossed stamp and they get sent back to us. So we used a different vet in a different location that had those qualifications. And that was very nerve wracking because the pets have to have an exam within 10 days of departure. And then the thing has to be like FedEx to the office and then get sent back to you in time to get on your flight. So there's a lot of tricky timing issues there. That that was scary. I'd like to move on now, if I can, to um, the, your integration. You know, you're, fair, you're fairly recent in France, um, October. Um, how have your neighbours taken to you and the people within the commune where you live? Our realtor luckily told us that in France, it's not customary for your neighbours to come greet you. It, you know, you're the one who goes and greets your neighbours. So... After our first trip, after we bought our house, we, we trekked around to all five of our neighbors and some of them weren't there, but we left a note um, with our contact information, just told them we were the new neighbors and met some others. And we were really, I had read before we moved about how wonderful French neighbors are in general. And we have found that to be true. I, we just couldn't believe the welcome we received from our neighbors it was just so friendly and there seems to be like kind of a special bond that you have with your neighbors. That being said, I mean, we don't, you know, we don't know them very well, but they've just offered to look at that over the house, you know, when we're not there. Okay. Just that, really that, above I mean, that, and beyond. We've, we've had exactly the same. I know that there have been other people who've moved to France and they've had totally different yeah. stories. Um, but but we haven't. We, we're very lucky. We've actually only got yep. two neighbors. Um, but but we we did something similar, you know. We went over and and, and saw our neighbour, um, and introduced ourselves. And then the other neighbour that we do have, uh, they built the house since we've been here. So, do you have much interaction with with your neighbours? One neighbour overlooks us, so she was sending us pictures on Facebook when different works were being done during the summer, and we overlook. Uh, one of the other neighbors so I will like open the window in the morning and say hello to her or I will say bonjour to her and she'll say hello to me it's very cute <laughs> are all of your neighbors um French all of our neighbors are French and we found out just the other day that the demographics of our neighborhood are mostly retirees so um a lot of them are older and retired you know like we are 
is there much of um, an expat or an immigrant community near where you are? And just on that point, do you consider yourself an expat or an immigrant? We're in a part of France that um, has a lot of British expats. And I think it's because it's a pretty easy trajectory, a bit warmer too than um, like Normandy and Brittany. And um, so there's an incredible... British expat community, I think that has changed since Brexit. But there is actually a monthly, like 40 page little magazine called Dusefa Monthly that's totally in English in our area. So that's, that's just kind of amazing. Who produces that and, and distributes that? Um, I think it's a, a group or like they have a Facebook group called Dusefa Monthly. And, and I don't remember where it's produced, and I don't know specifically who produces it. But it's an amazing resource. Yeah, that's good. There's, like, little British, you know, grocery ways to purchase British goods. You know, the grocery store has an international section that has a lot of British things. I mean, it's really amazing. There are some Americans around, um, not, not, not nearly as many. Um, but in Saint-Maxon, being 7,000 people, and mostly French, I mean, we feel like you know we kind of stand out but uh, you know our interactions have been really good um, people have been extremely friendly for the most part and I mean really amazing we're surprised you know we walk the dog everyone says hello it's really been welcoming in that way now the question that's a really interesting question whether we consider ourselves to be immigrants or expats and I think I almost waft between the two maybe on a daily basis, because, you know, we do, like, we're, I think we're, you know, sort of tax residents of France now, you know, we have a residence visa. So, um, and we've sold, the, you know, we are really immigrants. And uh, sometimes I remind myself of that when things get really hard with all the things that we have to do, you know, to, it's like starting your life over again. So in that sense, we're immigrants. On the other hand, you know, I take comfort in knowing that there are English language, English food um, things available to us. And so to me, that's more the part of being an expat. Um, I know the other day we were looking for car insurance and I put something on one of the Facebook groups because the Facebook groups have been, there's so many of them um, about moving to France, living in France, retiring in France. Um, living frugally in France, you know, how to do anything in France. And these are, you know, English websites and then, or Facebook, and there's a whole bunch about Docefa, you know, in English and in French. And our town has several different buy and sell sites. So there's so many resources out there. But I got the name of a couple of English speaking car insurance agents through one of the Facebook groups. And for things that are really technical, like car insurance that I don't even know about in English, it's nice to know that you have someone English speaking who could guide you through. And so that's where I also feel more like an expat. So I think fundamentally, I do waft between the two of them, depending on what moment of the day it is and what's going on. <laughs> what's your level of French like? Well, you know, my level of French is really good. And I think, you know, it deteriorated extremely between 1997 and 2021. But once I came back to start looking for houses, I it was just on this incredible learning curve 
with, you know, house hunting vocabulary and, you know, car insurance vocabulary, you know, all of these different vocabularies. So I think my French is better now than it was then. It's really, you know, very good. But I, you know, one of the things I just can't stress this enough, you know, I lived in France for four years and my French is good. And it's still really exhausting to have like multi-hour conversations about real estate or car insurance or whatever. And I cannot imagine trying to do what we're doing with having only a minimal level of French. I think you could do it in Paris because there's a lot of Americans in Paris. Um, but being in um, like in the, in the provinces where we are, I, I, I just don't think we would be able to do it if we didn't, if one of us didn't have good, French. So that, that leads on as well to difficulties that you had when you come out and or in the process of come, trying to come out to France and any tips or hints that you could give to anybody, um, not necessarily from America, but anybody from wherever yeah. who was considering the move to France. Well, yeah. I mean, just to link on to what I just said, I really think that committing to having a certain level of French before you even try to arrive is really important, especially if you're going to not be in Paris. I just can't stress that enough because it surprised me, you know, and I have French. So I just I think that's really, really important. The French bureaucracy is notorious. A lot of checks and balances and verifications of things are required. And it's just normal. It's the way French do things. And you have to just um, be patient. Things do happen. They do get done. They do work. You have to be patient and you have to slog through the process. And I think patience is really just another thing in general, because the French pace of life, people want to move here because they love the French quality of life. And yet what that means is, at least not being in Paris, most businesses are closed from 12 to 2. And you just, you have to get on a different pace and a different schedule and you just have to work within that. And it can be frustrating. And on the other hand, you know, that's what makes the French quality of life so good is that people are not working all the time. Money is not the most important thing. You know, it is to enjoy a meal, take the time, have little relaxing points during the day. And really, it's like a built in life balance, kind of forced on you. And so to try to learn to embrace that, yeah, I think you're right. And it's it's one of the things that we always saw when we came in on holiday. And, you know, it was one of the things that we loved. Yeah. The supermarkets were closed on a Sunday. Yes. We went back to, to England and, you know, the supermarkets were open practically all yeah. day on a Sunday. We went, oh, isn't this awful? Why can't it be like yeah. France? Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and, then, and then we move over to France. And I, I can remember there was one day we were uh, we were doing something and I popped off to the hardware store to uh, Bricomarche. And um, it was, I got there about 10 to 12. <laughs> and the lady came around and tapped him in the shoulder and said, you'll have to leave because we're closing for lunch. Yeah. And that's that's unheard of in England. Yeah. You know, the shops, they, yeah. they just keep going. But yeah. this was a big, this was a big store that was closing yeah. for lunch. Yeah. And I had, I had to make my purchases and leave quickly. Yeah. Um, because, and I'd forgotten about it's it. It's a great um, story. It, but it is, it's lovely. And it's things like, you know, Mondays, the, a lot of the shops are closed on the Monday. I love that. <laughs> but it, it is, it's great. And it's one of the, it's, it, it's like I keep telling telling our friends, you know, it's one of the things that attracted us to France is that slower yeah. pace of life. Yes. Um, 
and you know but we get frustrated with it when we're caught up in it but yeah. once once you get into yeah. it and once you start once you once you know that okay i can't go to brick marsh on the monday because it's closed yeah. or i can't go to different places yeah. um once you once you understand that and once you've got that in your mindset then it's it's easy to kick back and start to relax that's right that's right it's really it's a different rhythm i mean i think you yeah those are just great examples our time is almost up (laughs) um it's been it's been fantastic talking to you do you have any last minute tips or hints that you would give to anybody who wants to move to france the last bit of advice i would give is don't lose sight you know if you want to move to france don't lose sight of why you decided to move to France. Don't lose sight of your love of France. Don't lose sight of what your hopes and dreams are. Don't let those get lost. You know, don't let the beauty and the joy of the experience get lost in some of these daily <laughs> things. That's really good advice. And that's probably um, a great place to to finish on. Drew, thank you very much indeed. It's been, it's been lovely talking it's, to this you. This has been great. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for tuning in to the Moving to France podcast. I hope you found the information advice that we shared helpful and informative. If you're considering a move to France, make sure you keep listening to learn more about what to expect and how to prepare. Be sure to tune in for the next episode for more tips and insights about living in France. Until then, au revoir.